Amen. What a <clears throat> tremendous privilege to be with you this afternoon um, to, uh, to share with you uh, the Word of God. And, and, and let me just say, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to your pastor, Pastor Andy, for extending the invitation. Um, I don't take it lightly because I don't let anyone come into my pulpit. And as being responsible for the sheep, you have to make sure to feed the sheep. So I don't take it lightly that he's allowed me to be here, and I'm grateful to him. Uh, indeed, I am grateful to Brother Trevor. Uh, it is the Lord working through him that we even arrived in Louisville, and what an incredible journey it has been. I tell people all the time, if the Lord had a, uh, given me a pen and, and some paper and said, you write the story, however big you want it, I would have written it too low. Because everything that the Lord has done since we left Michigan has been incredible. So I am so grateful to the Lord how he used Trevor. And uh, Joshua, uh, Brother Joshua left out a, a significant piece, a significant portion to the story. Because not only was I hired uh, to be a programmer, I got to be his coworker. And during the time, uh, the last eight years, I, I, let me tell you, uh, Joshua is a dear friend to me. Uh, I truly call him brother, not uh, in the sense of my brother in Christ, but just my brother in life. There's been so many conversations, so many sweet, good, and godly conversations that we had over the years that have been formative to me, to how I work out my theology and practice. And it, he's even had a hand on some of our documents over at Forest Baptist Church and helping me to edit and to revise. So a great thinker, uh, love his entire family. Uh, and um, for him to even mention the ESL program, uh, let, let me tell you, really, it is a privilege and a pleasure. And coffee is an answer to prayer. Just quickly, for, uh, for about a year over at Forest Baptist Church, we were um, looking at the neighborhood and, and, and seeing the influx of refugees, immigrants, and internationals, and, and wanting to be a church that, that, uh, that if we were to shut our doors, that the community would know. We want to be a church of impact. So we began to think and dream, uh, Lord, what would you do here at Forest? And, and one of the things that came across our mind as vision was to, uh, to begin to build a ESL program in order to help those who are on the, on the margins of society, those who are oppressed, all because they don't have a strong hold of the English language. Uh, we began to pray and to think. And um, after about six months in the fall, Alex came. Uh, he had been a member at, at our church, and he was trying to do his, his last project for school. And we talked about that project. And we had walked through everything. We had it all figured out. We knew what we was going to do. We was going to have him work on it. He was going to create a, a, a program, and he was going to get the training together, and he would help us to get trained and ready to go to do this ESL. But isn't that how we do? We think so low, but God is so big. And I remember receiving an email from Pastor Andy. And after I read that email, my heart, was so full because not only did God raise up a partner, he basically said, all you have to do is open your doors. I got the people. I got the program. 
I got the career. I got everything. You just opened up your doors. And when I began to talk to Pastor Andy, you know when God's been moving. When he can say, God had been answering prayers. And when we could say that God had been answering prayers. So for coffee to be hosted at Forest Baptist Church, believe me when I say it is a privilege to be a part of what God is doing with his people. But with that said, let us dive into God's word and hear from him this morning. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the first chapter, or click with me on your devices to the book of Matthew, and we will be reading verses 18 through 25 this morning. Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25, and as it is a custom in our church, I, I like to remind people just what we have, what do we have in front of us. Uh, if you want to mind standing for the reading of God's word, and part of what we do is, is I just say every week that this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And the word of God reads as such. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place in fulfillment. To fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I would just simply like to place a tag upon this text as you have before you, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, if you would, please pray with me. O gracious and eternal and good and glorious Father, we do thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have accomplished through Christ Jesus. And we thank you for filling your people with the Holy Spirit that we may know your heart. And that we may grow in holiness as you sanctify us from the inside out. And Father, as we have gathered together to worship and to exalt your name, I ask, dear God, that your Holy Spirit will come forth and, and fill us anew. Please open up our minds and open blind eyes and Allow deaf ears to hear. And Father, I ask that by the power of your spirit that you will soften hard hearts. That we would see Jesus. Father, I ask that you would bless our time as we look into your word. And we ask that you would help us not to just be hearers of your word, to be doers of your word. And Heavenly Father, I ask that you would 
guide and govern my lips and my actions and that you would take my weak words and allow the power of Christ to rest upon them. That we will hear your truth and nothing but your truth. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, what's, what's, what's your birth story? As I asked that question, um, back at Forest Baptist Church, as we have been going through the book of Matthew now for uh, the last few weeks, and, and we've come across this text, and I asked the question, what's your birth story? And I didn't take for granted that in our congregation, we, by, by God's grace, he allowed us to, uh, to be in our 151st year of gospel ministry, and even many of the people who are in our church can trace their history back to our founder, Eliza Tivis, as the church was founded in her living room, and we get the name Forrest really because the former slaves were in the forest on stumps worshiping. And as I ask that question, what is your birth story? I can all, I, I imagine people saying, yeah, I was born in a hospital, but there's some folks out there who was born in the barn or born in their own homes. And it, I, even as I think about my birth story, if, 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 if I think about it, my mother, if she had her way, my name would have been Andre instead of Nathaniel. But my father, he had his way and named me Nathaniel Bishop Jr., and when we think about names, think about your name. Uh, in ancient Near Eastern times, uh, names had more of a meaning. There was a deeper meaning to a lot of the names in ancient Near Eastern times. That, not that it's bad what we do with our names now, but sometimes the, just the gravity of, of the names we just don't have. You know, sometimes our names can be arbitrary. Some, we saw a nice car driving down the street before we had the baby, so we named him Mercedes. You know, just things like that. And, and, but, but in ancient Near Eastern times, people had meaning to their names. Not only did people have meaning to their names, but throughout Scripture, we see the meaningful names of God. The generic Hebrew word for God is, was Elohim, is Elohim. So throughout the Scriptures, we will see times where God has worked a miracle. God has done the impossible, and he has rescued his people. He has provided for his people. So we have names like El Elyon, God Most High. Or names like El Shaddai, God Almighty, who is above all. You know, the personal name for Elohim that he, he gave to his people is Yahweh, Jehovah, or as we see in our Bibles, the L-O-R-D, all caps. A personal name of Jesus, a covenant name of Jesus. And whenever he was dealing with his people, he, he gave them his, his covenant-keeping name to remind them that, that they belonged to him and he belong to them. So we see times where you will see in the, in the text, he's called Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh will provide. This, uh, these are times where the people of God didn't have what they needed or they was in despair and God would show up out of nowhere and provide. I don't know about you. Have you ever had those times where God has provided out of nowhere? But then also his name is Jehovah Shalom. Yahweh is peace. And beloved, if there's anything that we need more in these days, we need Jehovah Shalom to show up, to break our hearts for him, that we would love our neighbors well, and we would be a blessing to all we come in contact with. Or maybe Jehovah Nisi, 
Yahweh is my banner. It is, it is God who is the one who is going on our behalf, fighting our battles. You know, sometimes at work, when we're dealing with that difficult supervisor, I always had great bosses, <laughs> great co-workers. But there's, there's hard times, and sometimes you, 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 your, your name and your reputation is at stake. But when, when, when Jehovah Nisi goes before you, he's the one who fights your battles. He's the one who takes care of your enemies. Or maybe Jehovah Sitkanu, Yahweh our righteousness. In a world where we try to gain acceptance to God through our good works, this reminds us that our righteousness comes from no one but God himself. So here in the New Testament, though, Matthew reminds us of another name for God, Emmanuel. And if the name Jesus, Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord saves, if, if the name Jesus is what God does, then Emmanuel refers to who God is. He's not only the God who saves, he is the God who is near to us. He is not just transcendent. We serve a God who is eminent. The God that blew breath into our lungs and said, let there be. He is the same God that who counts every hair upon your head. He is big, but yet he is near. And the gospel writer, Matthew, his whole point here in this text and all throughout the entire gospel of, of Matthew is that sin no longer rules over God's people because God is with us. That's his whole point. Sin no longer rules over God's people because God is with us. God didn't say, I'm just going to tell them from afar how to, how to fix their lives and how to work and how to live. He says, I'm not only going to give them a word from on high, but I'm going to come and be there with them. That's what kind of God we serve. That's, that, that, that fact in and of itself is what makes Christianity different than every other religion there is. Every other religion is concerned with how can man reach God, where Christianity reminds us that it was God who came to us. And it's easy to look at this text and see it just as a Christmas story, a story that we've all become just so familiar with, but yet it's so much more. In this text, we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. So over the next eight verses, the, the depth of this truth of Emmanuel is ex explained. Matthew, he, he gives us the facts of Jesus' birth that we would focus on our need. What Matthew is doing, he's making a claim about the world and the fact that Jesus has come, that God is with us. He's making a claim about the world. He's making a claim about us, and he's making a claim about our need. But lastly, he's also making a claim about Jesus in these eight verses. So if you would, I just want to lay out three things for us from this text. The first, I just want to lay out the means of God with us. M-E-A-N-S, the means of God with us. Just how did the Messiah arrive? Where does he come from? How, how does he get here? In verse 18 here, the same word for genealogy used in verse 1 
is used here, where it says, now the birth of Jesus. It's the same as the book of the genealogy of Jesus. What Matthew wants us to see is that a new a genesis is occurring. A, a new thing is happening, something that had never taken place, place in the fact that Jesus has come. In this birth, this entire first chapter, when we really look at it, it's really quite similar to the, to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. In verses 1 through 17 here, we, we get a macro view of how Jesus come. Well, how does Jesus come? In verse 1, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he goes in to uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. He's doing a macro, macro approach of how did Jesus get here? When we think about the book of Genesis, the, uh, the, ch- the first chapter, that's a macro view. God, he created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be. He created the, 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 the sky and he moved back the oceans and he allowed the dry land to form. And then he began to fill those containers. He, he threw the, the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. The, the birds began to fly in the air. The, 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 the animals came on the land. And then human beings came after that. He's, that's a macro view. But here in verses 18 through 25, this is a micro view. What exactly happened? We see that same in Genesis 2, where in Genesis 2, it goes from macro to micro, and, and it tells just how the man and the woman were created and how they were dwelling in the garden. I believe Matthew does that on purpose. He is trying to show the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, yet that continuity is something fresh with Jesus Christ. So the story goes that that here we have Mary betrothed to Joseph. These two are preparing to get married. The the betrothal process would have been a two-step process. One was the encounter. The family's getting getting together to say who and how they would be married, but then there would be a time where they were contracted almost to one another for a, a, a year's period of time. Marriage in the ancient Near East wasn't like our marriage. It's just kind of willy-nilly. I like you. You like me. Let's get married. No, no. There's a lot more. Track. We see that from verse 19 here where it says, and her husband, Joseph, didn't he just say they were betrothed? Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her. Divorce would have taken place if if the couple were married or betrothed in that year process. Where they were just waiting for the wedding day. That's how binding the betrothal was. But in the midst of this betrothal, something happens. And Joseph finds himself in a moral dilemma, right? All of a sudden, he finds out that Mary is pregnant. He knows that, well, it wasn't me. Something's happened. Uh, we, we, We know the birds and the bees. And I didn't have anything to do with it. So he's in a moral dilemma. And and what he, the dilemma he finds himself in is that legally he's bound to divorce her. But his question is, how can I obey the law, but yet walk in empathy and sympathy with her because I love her in order that she's not put out there. She's not put to shame. And that's what he's trying to figure out. That's that's the tension. That's what he's wrestling with. 
I want to obey the law, but I want to love her well. You know, as Christians, we can learn a little something from Joseph, too. Because God has given us his law. He has given us a way that we should live in this world. But yet, even as we live in this world, he wants us to be empathetic and sympathetic and to love those we come in contact with. How can we be faithful to God and yet faithful and loving to the people who are in desperate need of Jesus? Joseph's dilemma is, will he have a public divorce or something private? He's wrestling. The text says he, he, he's considering these things. And as he is wrestling and considering these things, the text tells us that an angel of the Lord shows up. And the angel of the Lord gives Joseph a word from on high. And that word is, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to marry Mary. Because the child that is in her is from the Holy Spirit. You, you don't have to be afraid what they might say about you. I believe Joseph, he, he wasn't really worried or fearful so much about the, the particular situation, but what people may say. He says, don't be fearful. Don't worry about what other people may say about the situation. You go ahead and marry her. Do not be afraid. Beloved, I, 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 love this, I love this piece in the text because of verse 20 when it says, but as he considered these things, don't you know that as we go about our own lives, that there will be times where we just don't know what to do. There's going to be times where, we, where we're struggling and we're trying to understand, Lord, uh, what do you want from my life? How, how do you want me to be faithful? What, what, you, what do you want me to do in order to be obedient? Lord, I don't know what, whether to go left or whether to go right. I don't know what job to take. I don't know what school to go to. I don't know who I should date or who I should marry. Lord, I, I, I don't know. And, and in those moments, we can be considering these things. We can be wrestling those things. But, beloved, when you belong to the Lord, I love what he does. He sends the angel. When you are considering and wrestling, there's always a word from the Lord. Praise God, though we may not be awakened in our dreams by angels. The Lord has given us 66 books of instructions that we can walk through and understand what God's will for our life is. If you ever in a situation and you just want to hear from the Lord, open up the scriptures. Because the scriptures is the very word of God unto us. So we open up God's word in order to understand this life as we wrestle. And praise God in the text, we see that Joseph, he obeys God, this word from Ohio. And he, he marries Mary. He names Jesus. And even in doing all of this, one thing I just found, uh, found to be amazing was something simple. In verse 27, 25, when he said, but knew her not until she had given birth. Joseph was willing to lay down his personal rights with his wife in order to obey Jesus. How often are we willing to lay down our personal rights in order to obey Jesus? We are a country full of rights. I want my rights. I fought for my rights. I died for my rights. And we love our rights. But Joseph here says, it doesn't matter what my rights may be. If, I, if God wants me to be obedient, I will lay down my rights. And as a Christian, that's called laying down your life. And then we see in the text that 
Joseph is obedient and he names Jesus. Jesus, look, don't skip past that. We're, we read this text, but don't move past that because it was the legal right of the uh, of a Jewish father to name his children. That was a right reserved for only the legal father. So by Joseph naming Jesus, we see that he is adopting Jesus. And by adopting Jesus, now legally, Jesus, though not a biological son, but, but he is a legal son of David now. And it will be fulfilled that he is king of kings and lord of lords from the Davidic line. We see, we see all of this Old Testament illustrations and imagery that Matthew used because he wants to show us how Jesus is connected to the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all things. We see here in verse 23, Isaiah 7, 14 is quoted, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The way that Matthew shows how prophecy is fulfilled, he used a lot of uh, typology and he's he's showing that this is this this double fulfillment. At the time, King Ahaz, he, he's being squeezed. He's the king of Judah and uh, he's facing Israel and he's facing Syria and they and they're getting ready to partner to come down against him. And he has no one to run to. He has no one to look to. And and, and the Lord says, you will be all right. I got your back. I will keep you. And he says this prophecy to, to give him encouragement. But, beloved, this prophecy is for us, too, because just as we are being squoze by sin and the effects of it, Jesus comes and he will be with us. So the means of, of Jesus' birth this is, this is a conception that was not from man. This conception was from God. This was not a sexual relationship. This is a conceiving from the Holy Spirit. Just as the Old Testament writer wrote in Genesis, as the, as the, the Spirit uh, hovered over the waters of creation, it is the, it is the Spirit of God is that which gives life. And the Spirit of God hovered over Mary's womb. And brought forth life, the third person of the Trinity. Beloved, when we see things like this happening, we, don't, we shouldn't take it for granted in the text. This is incredible. This is miraculous. We see the supernatural power of God breaking in upon the world. We see throughout the text of Scripture that, that God is working with us and through us for his glory and for our good. And, beloved, Philippians 2 tells us that, you know, we, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and we do partner with God in the sanctification process. But, beloved, there's just some things that we can't do that God needs to do all by himself. And God comes in. And Jesus is conceived. We need to recognize the supernatural power of God in our lives every single day. Don't take for granted that it was the alarm clock that woke you up this morning. It was God's loving hand and mercy that touched you this morning. It was not God that allowed these beautiful children to come forth. And I, 
I can't, to this day, I cannot fathom how after witnessing childbirth, anyone can be an atheist. Because when a child is coming forth, I say, there must be a God for that to take place. The supernatural work of God at hand. May we not become so sophisticated that we look past the supernatural work of God in our lives each and every day. Don't you know we're just a moment from tragedy? Often pray a prayer, Lord, keep us from danger seen and unseen. You know, that person swerving in your lane, that was just some danger that was seen. You didn't see the other people behind you that could have ran into your back. See, God keeps us from danger seen and unseen. We need to make sure we recognize that God is moving in this world for his good and our glory. That leads us from the, the, the means of God with us to the meaning of God with us. See, verse 18 through 25 is really another genealogy. In verse chapter one, verse one, we see that Jesus is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. But here we see that he is the son of God. This virgin birth actually means something. In the virgin birth, we have Jesus, his his full deity and his full humanity in one person. The the deity of Christ Jesus in the incarnation. May we never stumble past this text and just kind of blow it off. God coming, becoming one of us, it's miraculous. It's incredible. Jesus, his divine nature and human nature coming together in one person, two natures, Jesus Christ, this hypostatic union. And when we think about it, Jesus, he's born a baby, but yet he's sustaining the universe at the same time. Jesus, he he aged on earth, but yet he eternally exists. Jesus, he's he's tired on earth, but yes, but yet he's omnipotent in his strength. Jesus died, but yet he conquers death. Jesus in heaven, yet he's present with us right now. He's transcendent, yet he's Emmanuel. And beloved, this virgin birth means something because not only do we see the full deity and full humanity of Christ coming together in one person, we see that Christ's true humanity is without inherited sin. And Romans 5, it reminds us that as sin came in through one person, Adam, so sin now reigns. And what we see in the in the virgin birth is that 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 inherited sin that we have from Adam that is passed down from generation to generation, sin being passed down from from man to man, from family to family. All of a sudden, because God supernaturally steps in and he breaks that inherited sin and he says, now my son may come forth. No sin. That's because salvation can never come through human effort, only through the Lord. So when we think about the the meaning of God with us, we know that God himself has come and dwelt with man. And he lived the sinless life that we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve. 
and he allows us to be, re, uh, to be reconciled with the Father in heaven through his shed blood. Beloved, this text, we see the means of God with us, the meaning of God with us, but finally, we see the message of God with us, the message of God with us, because God has come not just to come, to hang out with us. He's come to do something. And verse 21 reveals just what God has come to do. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Sins. See, the, the Jewish messianic expectation with that was that one would come and he would come as a king and he would conquer and he would liberate the people from the, uh, the oppressive Roman government and, and, and they would enter into a, a new uh, existence where their, their Messiah would be strong and crush all, this, uh, the, all of their enemies. But yet that's not how Jesus came. Yahweh says has come, but most importantly, he has come to save us from our greatest enemy, sin. This word to save is to cause someone to experience divine salvation. To save who? His people. Who are his people? The family of Abraham. Those who are now been grafted in because of the blood of Christ. Those who are who are not born into the family because of their blood, but they're born again into the family because of Jesus Christ. He has come to save his people from what? Their sins. Beloved, it's so easy these days to overlook sin. This word here in the Bible means to miss the mark. To hit the wrong mark. Sin is a transgression of God's law. It is when we break God's law. Sin is a failure to conform to the standard of God. Sin is, is not only breaking of God's law, it's a principle within man. It's, it's in us. Sin is not just out there. It's in here. Sin is rebellion against God. What R.C. Sproul used to say is cosmic treason. Beloved, Jesus came into the world to do something. Jesus comes into a world where sin is prevalent. We live in a sinful world. If we just watch the news, we, we see how much sin is permeating across this world. You know, in our church, we are in prayer for those who lost their lives even this past week at Kroger. When I talk to a number of families, it, that, that shooting has touched so many of our, our, own, our families. Our, one of our deacons, his, his daughter was in the store at the time of the shooting. As a matter of fact, she sprung her ankle running away. On Saturday, we see the killings at the synagogue. We live in a sinful world. Sin is prevalent. It's all around us. It's in our schools. It's in our homes. Sometimes, uh, uh, even on Sunday mornings before you go to church, sin may show its ugly face. 
But sin is prevalent. It's everywhere. There's, there's no escaping. There's no uh, a monastic type life where we can get away from sin because even if we, we, find, we found the cave where no one else was there, we would be there bringing our own sinful patterns and behaviors. But not only does Jesus come into a world where sin is prevalent, Jesus comes into a world where sin is personal. As I say, sin is not just out there. Sin is in here. It's in our hearts. One thing I did just discussing sin for our congregation, I, uh, my desire is always to make it plain as possible. And it's easy to, to be good Christian folk. You know, sometimes we've been a Christian a while. We kind of forget who we used to be before Christ. And, and we forgot that we used to talk like that. We used to walk like that and act like that. But even on this side, as Christians, saved by the blood of Christ, that, that stain of sin still rears its ugly head. And we find ourselves falling into sinful patterns like that spoke of in 2 Timothy, the third chapter in verses one through five, where Paul just lays out what sin will, will be like in, in these last days. In verse two, it says, for people will be lovers of self. You ever loved yourself before more than anyone else? Anytime the children need help, and they're calling and screaming for mommy or daddy. I love myself because I sit down and hope my wife here before I do. We're lovers of money. Have you ever been proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. You can't satisfy. No matter what you do, you, this person is just never satisfied. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lover of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is that you? Have we ever fallen? Jesus comes to, into a world where sin is personal. We are a separated people. And we must be mindful to look in the mirror sometimes and say, your sin, my sin had separated me from God. Your foul mouth has separated you from God. Your bad attitude has separated you from God. Your disobedience to your parents has separated you from God. Your pettiness has separated you from God. Your sexual activity outside of marriage has separated you from God. Your drug abuse has separated you from God. Your pride has separated you from God. This is why God himself had to come. Because our sin is so heinous and despicable that only God himself could do something about our situation. Emmanuel. The message of Emmanuel is that we have hope in Jesus Christ. Because God is with us. Sin doesn't have to rule over you any longer. Emmanuel should remind us. Emmanuel should remind us that we are failures. 
Emmanuel should remind us that we can't fix ourselves. Emmanuel should remind us that God has not left us in our brokenness, though. The fact that Jesus has come, that God is with us, that that now, even when I was in my sin, Christ died for me. And now, when I look to Jesus Christ, I look upon the one who lived the life that I could not live, and I look upon the one who died the death that I deserve, and though I may be a failure, and though my mouth may separate me from God, that I have a Savior who has redeemed me, bought me back, paid for my sin, nailed it to Calvary's cross, and the worst thing that has ever been said about me was nailed to that cross too, buried in a tomb, and that same Savior got up on the third day with all power in his hand, and he says, I love you, come to me. Through repentance and faith, because when I understand that I am broken in need of a Savior, Jesus says, Emmanuel. I'm with you, and I've saved you and redeemed you. My challenge to all of us today is that we would look to Emmanuel today. We look to Emmanuel through repentance and faith. Repentance being the Bible word, which simply means to turn. I'm headed in one direction away from God. I need to turn and head towards God. And I do it by faith. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And he accomplished what he says he accomplished. And he is in glory right now, interceding on the behalf of his people. Beloved, may we embrace Emmanuel in our brokenness. For every time we get upset and lash out, May we embrace Emmanuel. Every time we say the wrong word or we're not as helpful as we should be, may we cry out Emmanuel. And when Satan wants to tempt us to despair, may we be reminded of Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the means of God with us, the meaning of God with us, and the message of God with us. Beloved, I encourage each and every one of us today to call on Emmanuel, call his name. Let us pray. Lord, I just thank you for your faithfulness to your own word. Thank you for the kindness that you have allowed broken on me to speak the glories of Christ to these your people. Now, Father, I ask that you would take your word and you will seal it upon our hearts and that we're, when we're tempted to discouragement, we would cry out, Emmanuel. When we fall and when we fail, may we cry out, Emmanuel. And when we need the hope for tomorrow, the encouragement for each day, may we cry out, Emmanuel. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are with us and for your people both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.